Hey, welcome to the Church on Boulevard Sermons Podcast, an extension of the ministry of Church on Boulevard in Richmond, Virginia. We hope that you'll find your time meaningful and that you'll learn to live life to the fullest as we grow together. We're continuing our series on our church mission statement that we are growing together as people whose lives are completely different because the gospel challenges our thinking, transforms our desires, and fills us with the power to live with love and do justice in the city. Last week, we talked about completely different, that when you come to know God, you don't tack something onto your life. Your life is completely remade from the inside out. This week, we're going to be tackling uh, a topic that I think is seldom talked about in church, but should be talked about more, which is reason and faith, that the gospel challenges our thinking and that that's a good thing. But first, because I'm using this word gospel over and over again, let me give my definition of the gospel. The gospel is this. Jesus saved you by grace, and because he saved you by grace alone, you now have the unconditional love of God in your life, no matter what you do, no matter what you've done. And God has a plan for your life. Even when you don't see it, even when you don't experience it, he has a plan and he's working that plan in your life. And one day you will be taken up. You will die. (laughs) We will all die. And you will be taken into glory and love. And then Jesus will come remake the world and resurrect our bodies. When you say it that way, Christianity sounds kind of (laughs) crazy. But what I'm here to say is that that's the truth, and we've got to reason through that, let it sound crazy to us, and work through it. Then we apply it to our life and see if we experience that as reality. I think we'll find that what the gospel gives us, if we believe that gospel, is this. You'll have meaning that suffering can't take away from you. In fact, suffering might even expand the meaning in your life because you'll find that you don't have to avoid it. You can walk straight through it and find God there. You'll have satisfaction, a deep satisfaction that isn't based on your circumstances. You will have an identity that isn't contingent on the vicissitudes, the ups and downs of your performance, and you'll have a hope, a hope that extends beyond this life so that you can always live as a hopeful person. We all know that the tendency, the trajectory in life is to get more bitter, more annoyed, more frustrated with people. The gospel person is growing in joy throughout their life. And if you're not growing in joy, then you don't know the gospel and you got to work it and you got to let it challenge you until it fills you with joy. So if it's true, it will help you. But listen, 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 please look at me for a second. If it's true, the gospel will help you. It will help your life. But it will help your life because it's true. Okay? Why am I saying it like that? (laughs) Because the gospel, I don't think, will help you if you're going to it to help you. If you're trying to use the gospel to help you pragmatically, I just need a little bit of Jesus in my life to feel a little bit better. Uh, I want to save my marriage, so I'm going to go to church, and maybe that'll help tack us up. That's just moralizing. That's just morality. That's just, I got to do more to prove myself to God. We'll see in the passage today that that's circumcision. That's what Paul is referring to. It's this way of trying to live to earn God's approval in our life. If you live as if the gospel is true and it's beautiful to you, it will help you. But if you go to the gospel just to help you, I think you're going to end up frustrated because Jesus isn't there to just help you through life. He's there to give you meaning, purpose, satisfaction, identity, and hope. All right, so today we're going to talk about faith and reason, and our scripture is Galatians 5, 6 through 8. I'm going to read it from my Bible I am like getting really into holding a hard copy of the Bible. So we have uh, copies up here if you just want to grab one. If you don't have a Bible and want to take it home with you, take it. Um, Some of them will have my notes in them. Um, If you have it on your phone, pull it up. Uh, It'll also be on the screen. 
We're in the book of Galatians, which is towards the back of the Bible. Here we go. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. You were running well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? This persuasion is not from the one who calls you. This is God's word. Let me pray for us. God, by the power of your Holy Spirit, in this room right now, would you move in our hearts? Would you help those of us who are already having the skin-crawling feeling of like, oh, yikes, why did I even come to church today? I forgot that even, <laughs> even though I love being around some of these people, I just, it feels so weird to talk about like the gospel and, and life of faith. We just, we live in a world, God, where everything that's pressing in on us says we should use empirical evidence to figure out everything in life. And so sometimes to talk about spirituality either feels really disconnected for us or weird. And so Lord, I pray for those people that you would help us see that faith and reason aren't just compatible, they're inextricably linked today. Uh, Lord, I also pray for those of us in this room who are coming in totally fine with the gospel and we need to be shaken up and challenged a little bit. I pray that you would do that work. And God, for those of us here who have this pseudo spirituality, but don't know you personally, would you meet us as the person of Jesus this morning, shake up our life, renew us, revive us. We pray this in your name. Amen. All right. George Carlin is a comedian and uh, Paige and I tried to watch George Carlin because he's like, he's very popular. Um, how would I say this? I wouldn't recommend him. Uh, I, I, well, I didn't find him that funny, first of all. Second of all, man, it's weird to watch like a guy his age say some of the crass things he says. Um, but that said, he's a smart guy. He's very, very popular. And some of you might think George Carlin's funny, and that's fine. He says this when he's talking about Christians. He's not a big fan. He says, you tell people that there's an invisible man in the sky who created the universe, and the mass, vast majority of them will believe you. Tell them the paint is wet and they'll have to touch it to be sure. <laughs> What's he saying? He's saying faith and reason don't go together. They're incompatible. Christians are gullible. Christians are people that buy into that mythology of Jesus. We are modern people. We're enlightened. We don't need God anymore. We have reason. We have logical faculties. We have empirical evidence. In other words, I think George Carlin is saying what a lot of people in our culture think about Christianity, which is faith and reason are incompatible. They don't go together. And you're not really a reasonable person if you're leaning into faith. You're just kind of the blind following the blind, drinking the Kool-Aid. But I think what Paul is showing us in Galatians is that the opposite is true. That faith and reason are not just compatible, they're vital to one another. So one example of this, uh, modern like philosophers of science uh, in like the 90s or so started to say, you know what? Every single scientific theory starts with faith. What is a hypothesis if not an if-then statement? If this is going to happen, then we expect this to happen. In other words, you start with faith and then you reason through it until you figure out if it can be a theory or not, if it's dependable enough, if it works in your life. Philosophers of science would say, actually, we're starting to realize there's a lot more faith involved in a scientific understanding of the world than we once gave it credit for. George Carlin would now be in the minority. In fact, some of you might have even heard me make that joke and you're like, yeah, I hear him, but I don't think I hang out with people that necessarily think that about Christianity. Spirituality has kind of come into vogue in our modern culture and people are cool with it. And that's also a challenge for Christianity because Christianity isn't just vague spirituality. It's a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. So it's all contorted and confusing in there. How do faith and reason coexist? We're gonna see today what Paul has to say about that. 
Here's my thesis, that a vigorous life of the mind is required for life-transforming, community-building faith in the gospel of Jesus. You have to have a vigorous mind. And how do you have a vigorous mind? How do you get stronger at the gym? You challenge your body. You break it down a little bit. It doesn't always feel good. Some days it does. Some days you see the progress, some days you don't. But when your body, the muscles break down, it's then in the breakdown that they build new fibers and grow stronger than before. And that's what happens in our mind as well. We've learned this through neuroplasticity. We've learned this through all, uh, cognitive behavioral therapy. All of these ways in which we've learned that your mind has a lot to do with the type of person you become. Your thoughts matter, your thinking matters, and challenging your thinking is very important. Now, some of you might have already jumped ahead of me in your minds right now because you realize that there's challenges to this, aren't there? There are algorithms built to keep us buying things in culture, and because they're built to keep us buying things, our social media often puts us in an echo chamber of just people who think like us because they've found that we're most likely to buy stuff if we see people that think like us over and over again. And we're so politically divided as a culture. I mean, this cuts to the very fabric of, I think, one of our major problems in the world right now, especially in America, is that we don't know how to disagree with each other in love and how to continue in relationship in love. And I think it's because we, we don't realize it, but underneath the surface, we actually separate faith and reason. We don't reason out the gospel. And because we don't, we can't make a difference in those just minute moments where we're talking with somebody and we can actually listen without getting defensive. And that's what Paul gives us the tools to dig into. Today, you might have uh, listened to this passage and said, what, what is circumcision and uncircumcision? What does this have to do with thinking out the gospel? It actually has quite a lot to do with thinking out the gospel. And what we're gonna see in this passage is that Paul shows us that thinking is important. Thinking is important why the gospel challenges our thinking and why that's important. And then we're gonna close out. Hank's gonna come up with me today and we're gonna uh, go through a couple weeks ago, we actually put some of this stuff into practice and we're like, man, that was an experience of the gospel working out in our lives. So we're gonna share it with you guys. It's based on this verse and we're gonna kind of workshop it together with y'all this morning. That's what we're gonna do. All right, so thinking is important. I don't know if any of you uh, would even push back against that statement. I started with an easy one. Thinking is important. Uh, Carol Dweck, uh, she did some research on growth mindsets versus fixed mindsets. People who think that their thinking can expand tend to become more resilient, more perseverant in life. People who think that their mindset is fixed, meaning there's a cap, meaning there's a ceiling for how far they could ever go in life, tend to stay stuck in life. What she discovered in her research is that when we think differently, our lives look completely different. This is why our mission statement starts here. Because we have to start thinking differently, letting the gospel challenge our thinking, dig into it, not be afraid of it, for those of us in this room who are deconstructing our faith right now, I fear that something in the back of your mind says, oh no, am I gonna lose everything if I go too far into my doubts? You can't go too far into your doubts, according to the Bible. Because if the, if the gospel is true and faith and reason are inextricably linked, then you will run in to the truth of God. Your thinking, in other words, can get you there. It has to start there. You don't leave your mind at the door when you become a Christian. It's actually the very beginning. Like I talked about scientific hypotheses. You start with this sense of, all right, if God's real, then. All right, if this God is real, then I'm gonna read my Bible. I'm gonna try to figure out what he's like. If he said this, then does it mean this? In other words, your life becomes a series of deeply reasoning out what you believe. Christians, those of you who are Christians in this room, I want to strengthen and encourage you. You're not thoughtless. And people who aren't believers and aren't Christians, they're not thoughtless, but they're also not without faith. They have just as much faith that there isn't a God. Because here's the deal, we can't prove it either way. So what are some reasons for why we might want to believe that our thinking 
It is important. Believe that it's also important that it's challenged so it can grow in the gospel. And then how does it work? So our culture definitely stresses that thinking is important. Paul also does in this passage in Galatians. It takes a little context to get there. So let me give you a little context of what's going on. Paul planted this church. This letter was probably written somewhere around AD 48 or 50. So that means it was within a generation of Jesus dying and resurrecting on the cross. That's important to recognize that these letters were written so close to Jesus actually being on the earth. And Paul is writing to these people that within just a couple of decades are already, they've received the gospel, what we said at the beginning, that Jesus has saved them by grace. But there's these people called Judaizers who were experiencing political pressure from the Roman government because there was this new cult starting to form. These Jews, that's what they thought they were at the beginning. All Christians started Jewish. (laughs) We are Jews. They were Jews who believed the Messiah had come in Jesus. And the Roman government was like, wait a second, we have jurisdiction for Jewish people in our empire, but not for this weird cult that's starting up that doesn't attend any of the pagan banquets, that doesn't even, they're not even okay with the Jewish God in the same way. They believe in this Jesus guy. It was super confusing. They shared meals together and called them love feasts. So they were like, ugh, well, those people are getting together to have all sorts of sexual adventures. They're weird, aberrant behavior. Seriously, Christians were persecuted like crazy for being absolute weirdos in the first century. And so there's a lot of political pressure coming in on these new Christians and these Judaizers who were kind of the bridge between the government of the time, the empire, and the Jewish people. They started going to this new cult and they said, we have a solution. Here's what we're going to do. If you guys will get circumcised like the rest of us, then you will be proving that you've earned the salvation of the Jewish God. If you don't get circumcised, then you will be demonstrating that you ignore the law of God, that you don't trust it, you don't believe in it. So if you really believe what you say you believe in this Jesus guy, we'll let that Jesus thing slide. We don't really believe he was the Messiah, but you got to get circumcised. That will give us credibility to go back to the Roman Empire and say, hey, they're all Jews. Don't worry about it. We don't have to like stomp out this new cult. They just didn't want to deal with the problems. In other words, they were not caring about the people's hearts. They didn't, weren't trying to care about their faith. They were just saying, hey, just look like a Jew, get circumcised, and we'll all be good. Which I don't know how they were going to check for circumcision. I have no clue. But that was going on. Yeah. So circumcision was reliance on the letter of God's law. It was saying, you got to do this. It was an Old Testament thing that uh, Jewish kids, boys, males would get circumcised within the first eight days of them being born. And when they were circumcised, that was a sign and symbol that God was in their life, that they were a part of this covenant community. What's happening now in Galatia is that these people are saying, you need to retroactively do that. You're not okay with God until you do that. And then if if the men do that, then everybody's okay. Interesting, really interesting. But here's the problem with the Judaizers. N.T. Wright, who's a, he's brilliant. He's coming up with new theories about what might've been going on historically during the time. He says that these Judaizers, they were offering circumcision, but they were also cherry picking the Jewish law. In other words, they weren't actually living by the letter of the law, even though they were trying to press the letter of the Jewish law into these new converts. They were saying, if you don't get circumcised, you, don't, you do not participate in the law of God. But, but what's funny about that is they were not participating in the law in any other way beyond circumcision and a few other Jewish festivals. So Paul is like, you guys are crazy. These guys don't even abide by the law that they're telling you, you have to get circumcised for. Secondly, Jesus died so that you didn't have to get circumcised. We can go baptize you in water, but it doesn't save you. Circumcision doesn't save you. In fact, if you get circumcised for this reason, it's as if God has no value to you. That is actually a sign that you don't think Jesus has any value to you because you're trying to prove through circumcision by doing this religious activity that you're good enough for God. And Jesus has already proven that for you and his righteousness is given to you. 
If you stay uncircumcised, then you're denying the spirit of God's law, and we can't have you in our community. So here's the, here's the problem, though. If they get circumcised, Paul says, that's a denial of Jesus, because you're saying you can get to God on your own right. If they don't get circumcised, that's a denial of Jesus. Because if they're doing it simply because they're ignoring the law, they aren't seeing that Jesus died not to abolish the commandments, not to abolish the Jewish law, but he died so that we could live into it free from guilt, free from worrying about our mistakes. So both circumcision and uncircumcision are a denial of Christ. Because one denies that he actually has earned our way to God. We don't have to earn our way anymore. That's circumcision. But uncircumcision denies Jesus because it doesn't uh, allow us to live into the spirit of the law. Christians were always still supposed to keep up with the law and the moral code of the Jewish life. They just were supposed to do it for different motives. They weren't supposed to do it to try to earn God's affection. They were supposed to do it out of gratitude for what Jesus had done for them. And Paul is saying, if you've been lost up till now, Zero in with me here. This is the main point. Paul is saying the reason you're in this situation where you are considering self-mutilation for the sake of these Judaizers, if you're doing that, you haven't thought out the gospel deeply enough because you haven't taken time to realize that this is false. This is a trick. This is not truth. You haven't thought deeply enough In other words, Paul wasn't saying, you need to just blindly follow Jesus. He was saying, you need to reason out the gospel and don't like embrace your faith until you reason out the gospel. And if you don't reason out the gospel deeply, you might find yourself doing some crazy stuff like being a 30 something year old man and getting a circumcision. And I'm telling you, that's a serious deal, (laughs) especially back then. It's crazy. It has real life implications the way that you think. And Paul says, thinking is important. Circumcision is trying to earn God's love. Uncircumcision is ignoring the law and denying Jesus. Instead, Paul is summarizing something that he says in Galatians 2. Let me go here real quick. In Galatians 2, verse 16, Paul says this. Yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Jesus Christ in order to be justified in faith in Christ, not by works of the law, but because by works of the law, no one will be justified. In other words, you can do all the right things. You'll never do enough right things. The law is way too high of a bar. So Jesus has come into the earth and died so that you can just trust in him. But that doesn't mean you don't then do good things. Christians that say, well, I'm just saved by grace. I don't have to do anything. Yeah, you'll, you'll probably be in heaven. Your life won't look that much different from anybody else. You won't make an impact for the kingdom in the world. In other words, if you want to keep being recreated, you might have become a new creation, like we talked about last week. But if you want to be recreated, you got to think through the gospel. you got to reason it out. you got to know that you were saved by grace. But then there's another piece that gets uh, summarized. Look at uh, Galatians 2, verse 20. So I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Listen to this. The life I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. Faith in love. Paul says it's not circumcision and uncircumcision. It's faith in Jesus working through love like Jesus. And Jesus's love was self-giving. It was self-sacrifice. So stop thinking about whether you need to get circumcised or be uncircumcised. That is literally the wrong question. The correct question is, how do I draw close to Jesus and then live a self-giving life for others? The reason that thinking is important to the gospel is because it's the only way that we're going to really dig into the gospel and understand it and avoid false teaching. It's also because the gospel is not just what saves you, it's what remakes you over time. Some of us think we hear the gospel, like I said at the beginning of the service today, you hear the formula of it and you're like, okay, I believe in Jesus, I'm saved by grace. Great, 
Done with that. Check the box. I'm going to heaven. I'm good. I have nothing to do on my interior life. And then you end up feeling hopeless when you're like, why is God not just making my life seem better? Like uh, he should be blessing me, making everything look better. It's because you're missing out on what the gospel actually is. The gospel isn't just the ABCs of your faith, Tim Keller says. It's not just the ABCs. It's not just the beginning thing that you leave behind and grow on past. The gospel is the A to Z of your faith. It's not just the ABCs. It's the A to Z. The gospel is what you work in every single moment. There's no moment too small or too large to reason out the gospel in your life and learn how to live by faith in Jesus working through love for others. And if we can learn how to do that, which we're gonna just skim the surface on today at the end when Hank comes up, if we can learn how to practically engage that, I'm telling you guys a lot is gonna change in your life and in my life. And we're gonna be a different kind of church. We're gonna confuse a lot of people because we are going to live by the law (laughs) and they're gonna be like, oh, you're those types of Christians but we're not going to be legalists because we aren't living unto the law. We're living unto Jesus. That's huge. That's point number one. Thinking is important. Thinking is important in our modern context. Thinking is important to the gospel and it's important to Paul. Point number two, why it is important that the gospel challenges our thinking. Let's look back at the passage again and look at verse seven. Paul says, you were running well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? The truth there is a synonym for gospel. In chapter one of Galatians, he says the truth of the gospel. He says truth of the gospel multiple times through the book. He just drops off the word gospel here. What is he saying? He's saying it's important that the gospel challenges your thinking because it's true. Not just true to you, not just your truth, not just, oh, well, I had this ecstatic experience with Jesus and he felt so true to me. No, capital T, truth. It is true to Paul. And if you're a modern person here, which all of us are, you might be bristling a little bit. And that's because we don't really believe in absolute truth. I'll get to that in a second. First, let me show you a story with Jesus. This is a great illustration of how reason and faith work together and why it's important that the gospel challenge our thinking. Listen to this story. This is when Jesus is first calling his disciples, the people, his students, the people that would follow after him. I'm in uh, the gospel of John chapter one, starting in verse 43. The next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found a man named Philip and said to him, follow me. Now, Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter, who were already followers of Jesus. Philip went off and found Nathanael and said to him, we found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph, the Messiah. Nathanael said to him, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip said to him, come and see. Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him from far off. And he said, behold, an Israelite indeed in whom there is no deceit. Nathanael said to him, how do you know me? Jesus answered him, before Philip called you when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. I saw you. And Nathanael answered him, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. And Jesus answered him, listen to this. Because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree, you believe? You will see greater things than these. And he said to him, truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the son of man. What's going on? Nathaniel is so skeptical of Jesus. The first thing we see here in this illustration is that Jesus loves skeptics. They can follow him. He embraces Nathaniel wholeheartedly. He doesn't even go into Nathaniel's problems right away. He starts by encouraging him. Chances are the reason that Jesus said, there's no deceit in you is because Nathaniel was just a truth teller. Nathaniel was probably actually quite brash and rude. 
Most people probably wouldn't have complimented him for not having deceit. But Jesus sees this core in him and says, look, I see what the potential of your truth telling is. And I'm not hit, like you can't hide it in your brashness. You have worth and dignity. You're a man in whom there's no deceit. We got to soften the edges a little bit. (laughs) But you're a man in whom there's no deceit. So the first thing is he embraces the skeptic. But the second thing we see, and this is the best part, and I am pulling this directly from my man, Dr. Tim Keller. He pointed this out uh, to me, or I say he pointed out to me. I read his, his book a while back, but man, I feel like I got a connection with this guy. And uh, he says this, notice what happens when Nathaniel says, behold, you are the son of God. You would expect Jesus to say, see, now you get it. Now you have faith. Now you believe in me. See, But Jesus says, don't believe in me because I did a magic trick, because I saw you from a distance. Don't believe in me because you're having some ecstatic experience with me right now. Isn't that so interesting? Jesus chastises him. He says, there's no reason involved in this. Because I did this? Because I said I could see you? Listen, listen, you will not have the power of the gospel if you just have an ecstatic experience with Jesus and say, all right, I believe that, and then leave it behind. You got to keep reasoning the gospel. Jesus is like, you got to think about the implications of what makes me the son of God. What makes you think right now, Nathaniel, just because I could see you under the tree, you still want to follow me. I'm not a great person to follow. You know why? Because we're all going to die. All of my disciples are going to be martyred. Jesus knew that. They didn't know it at the time. He knew what he was walking them into. And he said, you are going to turn away from this if you don't reason it out deeply. Don't just have a feeling or have your own truth. You have to know that I'm actually true. And that means that Jesus recognizes his intellectual integrity and honors that. If you're here and you can't come to God because he just doesn't seem true to you, we love you. I'm so glad you're here. That This is the exact place to be. I would actually challenge those in the room who say, well, Jesus is true for me, but he doesn't have to be true for other people. I would say Jesus would disagree with you on that. <laughs> And he'd say, either I'm capital T truth in your life and you pursue me because I'm true or it's not going to work for you. I'm going to frustrate you. I'm going to annoy you. My people are going to annoy you. You're not going to want to be around other Christians because you're not going to understand that I've saved them by grace, not just by their thinking or their feeling or some certain ecstatic experience. You got to reason out your faith. That is such a beautiful example, isn't it? Of how Jesus shows us that we have to reason our faith more deeply and that he embraces the skeptic. So why is it important that the gospel challenges our thinking? Because it's capital T truth, not my truth, not your truth. It's not some highly charged emotional experience or feeling. It is true. And if it's true, then it's bigger than you. And if it's bigger than you, it will challenge you. By definition, the gospel is going to challenge you because if it is truth and you aren't capital T truth, it means it's going to be reworking you. There's going to be times when it's uncomfortable. And that brings me to my next point. There's a lot of pushback against absolute truth in our culture. Why? Because people say that might be true for you, but it's not true for me. And if you think that way, I just want you to say, I just want to say, (laughs) I love you. But here's my challenges with that way of thinking. First of all, to say there is no such thing as an absolute truth claim out there, Christians are crazy because you believe in one absolute truth, one gospel, that is an absolute truth claim. (laughs) In other words, if your brain is hurting on this, don't worry, this is just a a sub-point. In other words, to say you can't know the truth, I can't know the truth, all truth claims are relative, is an absolute claim. I can turn to the person who says that and say, is that a relative truth? Because if it is, then it's meaningless. They would have to say, no, 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 it's actually true. And then they've undermined themselves. But there's another reason why relativism doesn't really work. Let's go to morality for a second. If there's no God, if there's no objective reality, then there's nothing that tells us outside of ourselves that we do have to love people in a selfless way, that we do have to give ourselves up for people. There's nothing that does that. So are some actions universally wrong? Do you believe in your core that people have dignity? There's no reason for that belief. You can have that belief and not be a Christian. 
But my point is, without God, you don't have good foundations for that belief. Without God saying that people matter, because think about it, it's not always pragmatic for people's lives to matter. I'm going to go into a tough issue real quick, but the abortion debate is a perfect example of this. Because the conversation in the debate is, well, that life doesn't necessarily matter. It matters. I don't think people that are for abortion are saying that life doesn't matter. And no one argues on either side that we should have abortions. Like no one's pro-abortion. But here's my point. When our culture says, how dare you, how dare you say that that little life matters because that life hasn't even come into the world yet. They're operating on moral thinking that is absolute because the Bible says, contrary to the way you think, every life does matter, no matter how small, no matter how seemingly insignificant. In other words, the only reason that we can say that little life matters is because there's a God that says it matters. Morality doesn't hold up under relative thinking. There's no reason for human rights without God. You can absolutely go march and protest for Black Lives Matter. You can absolutely go do it. All I'm saying is, without faith in God, you don't actually have good reasons for it. Do you see what I'm saying here? To not have faith is to be unreasonable. To doubt and not go to the bottom of your doubts to say, oh, I just don't believe in God, is actually to think less. To not be a Christian is to think less. The reason the gospel needs to challenge your thinking is because it's inevitable if it's true. You gotta keep working it. If you don't like the thought about all life begins at conception, you gotta dig into and think about it more, not less. In our culture, we don't wanna think about the big questions of life. Why am I here? Did God, does God exist? What's the good life? These three questions, we don't wanna think about them. We'd rather just care about, I have my job to do today. I have a loving family. But let me tell you, if you don't deal with those questions, you're not more reasonable, you're less reasonable. And a Christian has no option but to think about those questions because it's the core of our faith. So if you're a Christian, you gotta think about those things. You gotta figure out, do I believe in this God? Do I believe in this specific God and why? It's way more reasonable. It requires way more thinking, way more logic. Faith and reason are not just compatible. They're inextricably linked. They're vital. Now, let me respond to Christians a little bit because we got there's annoying Christians out there too. And I've been one of them. No Christian claim knows the whole truth. That's the whole point. What Christians are claiming is not that we know the whole truth. We're claiming that we truly know a God who is the whole truth. Here's why that's different. If you truly know God, you can trust him. You can't know everything about him. He's God and you are not. If he is capital T truth, you can't know everything. This is why the gospel is beautiful because that humbles you. You can never be an intellectual snob. You can never sit across from someone who thinks different on the issue of abortion, for example. Contentious, passionate argument you can never look down on them for having different thoughts if you're a Christian in the gospel. Why? Because you serve capital T truth. You don't have it all. But that doesn't mean you can't have, that doesn't mean what you can know can't be true. See, the argument that there is no such thing as truth means that you can't trust anything in the Bible. What the Christian would say is, I can't know it all, but I can trust the core of my faith because why? Christianity is the only religion where God came into earth and demonstrated it. It's the only one that puts flesh and blood on the truth. And that's what the Christian claims. That's what we stand behind. To me, that is so reasonable. That makes so much sense to me. And that, makes, that, that leads me into any conversation with humility. And you know what else the gospel leads us into with? This is another response to Christians. If it's capital T truth, the truth isn't always gonna feel good. If it's true, it's not always gonna feel good. That means the gospel isn't always gonna feel good. So we have to stop thinking that just because we don't feel good about something, that negates the gospel. Here's what I mean. Let me use an example. In scripture, when Paul talks about faith, faith is not opposed to doubt or reason. 
Faith is opposed to sight. This is really important. This is really important. Let me give you an example. You smoke cigarettes. You're addicted to cigarettes. Everybody here is a cigarette smoker and you've given it up. Why? Because there's evidence that says this isn't good for you. It's not healthy for you. And because you're a Christian, you're like, okay, God cares about my body. So I will care about my body too. Do you see how that works? You're reasoning out the gospel. And you say, all right, I need to give up smoking. So you give it up. You have all the reasons, all the evidence, all the like pictures, the graphic pictures of people that have smoked too much and had to have surgery and all that stuff. And then you're hanging out one night with your buddy and he pops out some Marlboro Reds and you see it. Does it feel true in that moment that smoking's not good for you? But is it still true? Does it feel good in that moment to not smoke? But is it still true that it's not good for you? So how do we reason out the gospel? When we come into moments where it doesn't feel good to us, we say, you know what? It's not gonna feel good right now, but it's true. I matter to God. He loves me. In other words, because it's true, Christian, the gospel makes you confident. Because it's absolute truth, it makes you humble. Because it's absolute truth, and the truth is that Jesus came into the world and died for you, the Christian gospel, not just some ethereal God, but a God who actually loves you, it's confidence, humble confidence. The gospel will always give you that paradox. And when you hold that intention, y'all, there are so many benefits. I'm gonna list a couple and Hank's gonna come up. The first benefit, if the gospel is true, then everything we do has to do with the gospel. If the gospel is ultimate reality, you don't have a situation too small that you can't work the gospel into your heart. We'll look at what working the gospel means in just a second, but you need to know this principle. If the gospel is capital T truth, there is not a single thing you can face. Nothing is too silly, too small to invite God into. It also means nothing is too big. Okay, you can always go to the gospel. It's a unique resource for you. It's not just an intellectual formula. It is Jesus Christ, a relationship with God. Thought two, this thinking out the gospel will always make you more intimately close with God. Thinking out the gospel will give you ecstatic emotional experiences. Not every time you reason through it, but you're going to have way more, way deeper emotional experiences with God if that's what you're after by reasoning out the gospel than if you don't. If you just have blind faith, you're going to feel distant from God most of the times. But if you reason through it, if you say, God said this was true and it doesn't seem true in my life right now, and I'm going to grapple with it until I figure it out. And I'm not going to be afraid to go into my doubts because if God is capital T truth, there's no fear. I'll either find out that Christianity is not true and I'll walk away and I'll have the truth or I'll, I'll run right in to the loving arms of God. I'll fall right into that unconditional love and I'll realize that's more true. You don't have to be afraid of your doubts. It leads you closer to God. This is what Paul means when he says you are running well. When you run a race, there's a goal in mind. The goal of the Christian life, the finish line, is intimacy with Jesus. Christianity is different from anything else because this God came to earth and he knows you and loves you and you can have a relationship with him. It's unique. Notice also in verse eight, it says, this persuasion is not from him who calls you. We have a calling God. We have a God who says, come here. I got a plan for you. I got good things for you to do. Come over here. No, wait, I want you to love this person. No, wait, that's not, no, no, that's not just coincidence over there. You are with this person for a reason. You, you, you went to work today for a reason, not just to do your job, to expand the kingdom. It's a God who calls you, who has a purpose for you. Thinking through the gospel will lead you closer to God. And then here's another part for our mission statement. Thinking through the gospel builds stronger community. I'm sure you guys can think about how this works, but let me just share a little bit. In, in a book called The Coddling of the American Mind, this, these two authors did a bunch of research and they said, you know what? Americans have really fragile identity. Because ever since Rene Descartes in the 17th century in the Enlightenment, we started to say, I think, therefore I am. And what that means is my ideas are me. I, truth comes from the inside out. God doesn't work with me. In the Christian mindset, truth comes from the outside. We see it from God, but it's also inside the Holy Spirit. It's both. 
But the secular view is truth comes from the inside out. It can't come from out here because there is no God. But what that does is it makes us really fragile in our identity. Why? Because your ideas are no longer ideas. Your ideas are you. That's why when you sit across, watch it, watch this happen. When you sit across from somebody and you guys start talking and it gets into like political ground and someone starts getting really contentious or has to shut down or whatever, why? Why are they doing that? Why are you doing it? Maybe you've felt your blood start to get warm under your skin when someone talks about something you disagree with. Why? Because in that moment, you aren't believing the gospel. You're believing your ideas are you. The gospel says your ideas aren't you. (laughs) Your ideas are ideas. And you can have them passionately with confidence. But you can't build a community if everybody's walking around getting offended by each other and just says, you just think what you want to think and I'll think what I want to think and we never have to reconcile. We never have to come together and try to get to deeper truth. You can't build a community on that. We're watching our society fragment right now because of it. We live in a culture now, these authors would say in this book, that we expect the answers to come from inside of us. And therefore, when when our ideas are critiqued, when our self-expression is critiqued, we feel like our identity is being attacked. We don't feel like we're in an intellectual debate anymore. We feel like our identity is being attacked. But the Christian considers there's a larger truth. And if the gospel has been challenging you, then you've been trained in the gospel that you don't have all the truth. So yeah, you might still get defensive, but over time, if you're growing in the gospel, you know what's gonna happen? You're gonna be able to sit across from somebody and hold your ideas loosely, even your ideas about Jesus. Isn't that interesting? Jesus gives you the freedom to do that because of the gospel, to say, you know what? I'm here to like have faith in Jesus and I can trust he can handle any, any doubts. And I'm here because I love this person. I'm gonna give myself to them. And you can sit back and when they attack your ideas, they're not actually attacking you. Deep understanding in the gospel is humility and love. Why? Because Jesus died and he rose again. And if it's capital T truth, imagine what this does to us as a community. Imagine if our community has these dinner groups happening all around the city where those types of conversations happen. Do you know how much our world needs a listening ear? Just needs someone to sit with them and not get offended. Do you know how much good we could do for people who are starved of intellectual challenge if we sensitively come alongside them and say, well, I kind of see that differently. And then when they push back, we don't get defensive. We just receive it. Because why? Because we have the humility of knowing we don't know the whole truth and they might have something to teach us no matter what they are. Whatever their belief system is, whether they're atheist or not, whether they're gay, straight, doesn't matter. We can learn truth from anybody but the only reasonable ground you have for that is the gospel. That's my point. If you don't have the gospel, (laughs) then you don't actually have reasonable grounds to listen to anybody or to care about what they think because there's no God that tells you that's the right way to live. But Christianity does because Jesus stood across from his accusers. And when they were in a farce of a trial, making up untruth about him, he stood silently and he let him kill him. He died for every untruth so that we can know the truth. Hank, will you come up here? Let's see how we practically do this. The reason I dug into this verse is because my mentor, Cron Gibson, who you guys have met, and Elizabeth Gibson, um, who y'all have also met, uh, taught me this. I was struggling when I uh, left my last job, and I was struggling with the church and Christianity and everything. And as I was processing with Cron and Elizabeth, at one point Elizabeth looked at me and she said, Drew, what does the gospel have to say about all your hurt feelings? And I had no idea how to answer. I was meeting with them to tell them I was gonna go plant a church. And I had no idea how the gospel actually interacted with the problems that I was facing in life. And so they took us to this verse, didn't they, Paige? And it took about a year and a half. It wasn't until this winter when it was like, oh, after a year and a half of thinking through the gospel, it's finally starting to click. And here's, here's how they taught us to go through it. Let me just pull it up so we can all look at it. All right, so for in Christ, the actual translation says neither circumcision nor uncircumcision. But what I'm saying is neither earning your righteousness or justifying yourself which is religion, circumcision, nor ignoring 
the law of God, ignoring what the right thing to do, ignoring morality, neither of those count for anything. And that word counts means it has no power. Those things have no force and no power on you. If you try to live into earning your way for God, it will crush you. If you try to live your life ignoring God and his law, it will crush you. They have no power to help you. They don't count for anything, but only faith. Remember, faith in Jesus who has already done the work for us. So we don't have to get it perfect. Working through love and how did Jesus love? Self-giving, self-sacrifice, absorbing the pain, absorbing the hurt in the world on himself so that we can live life through him. So really briefly, Hank and I are gonna talk through something. I'm gonna hand you the mic. You good? I'm good. Does everybody know Hank? Do you feel safe? Do you feel yep, comfortable? Feel All right, Hank's my man. Um, I think it's helpful for everybody here to know that you think of things in a very black and white manner. Okay. So truth is very important to you, right? Yes, yes, truth is very important to me. If I were to surprise you with a pres- present you didn't like, what would you say? I would say, this is awful, get it out of here. You're a little better than that. You've learned, you've learned over time, but it is hard, it's hard to, those categories are tough. Okay, um, all right, so Hank, can you tell us what happened two Thursdays ago when you called me and how, how did we, this conversation get started? Can I hold this? Yeah, hold it somewhat close to you. Um, a couple of Thursdays ago, Thursday is my therapy day. Um, my therapist's name is Dan. And a couple of Thursdays ago, I came from therapy just really wrecked. I had a really hard session. Um, some hard emotions came up. And the only thing I wanted to do after uh, that therapy session was call my mom and rip her a good one, just chew her out and, um, you know, blank, blank. I'm sure everybody has those times with their moms. But there was a small part of myself, maybe it was the old, I mean, the new creature from last week. We talked about the new creature, so maybe... This was him uh, speaking up in me. There was a part of myself that was like, wait, I need, I don't want to do this. But that part was so small that I felt I needed support. And at the same, at the time I was like, I think Drew's the only one I could call right now that would understand this and give me support. And so I texted him, I said, call me ASAP. And um, when he called, I told him about the situation, and he said, okay, Hank, would you like to vent right now, or would you like to work out the gospel? And I said, I called us so that you could talk me out of it, so of course I want to work out the gospel. And um, uh, Drew said, okay, Hank, is God mad at you? Well, first let's start here because you were angry. You were telling me your biggest thing was you were you were feeling angry. Yes, I was feeling angry. So we were like, let's start with God. That's, is God yeah, angry with is you? Is God angry with me? And this is how I want to be a pastor, y'all. And um, this is how bad theology can get in even the most devout of brains. Um I said, sometimes God is angry with me. And he said, why, how, what's your scriptural basis for that? And I said, that verse in Bible, the Bible that says God disciplines those he loves. And that's when Drew preached to me and he said, no, Hank, actually the gospel is that God is never mad at you because Jesus took all God's anger and took it upon himself. So now God only has loving feelings for you. Now, I'm not sure about all that theology, but I was having a really horrible day and needed the help. So I was willing to suspend, put that in the, <laughs> suspend the Dis- belief. Yeah, suspend disbelief. Yes. Um, and uh, so uh what we talked about was okay if god did that for me then can i if jesus absorbed god's anger toward me can i absorb my anger toward my mom and 
Um, Drew warned me. He said it's going to feel like death. It's going to hurt, and it's going to be unpleasant. But do you think you can do it? And I said, yeah, I think so. So um, we set um, uh, um, a date that night, later that night, once I had thought through some of this to video chat. And uh, intervene a little bit? Yeah. So what we were working through together was Hank was angry and he wanted to lash out at his mom, but he knew that if he did call her to justify himself, he'd be earning his own righteousness. He'd be trying to prove that she had hurt him and done something wrong. But he also knew that if he uh, said that he wasn't mad at his mom and he shame on him for having all these bad feelings, he'd be ignoring the truth that he actually was hurt. And there actually might be some justifiable reasons why he should have been mad at his mom. And so he didn't know how to filter through all that in the yeah. moment and how to reason through it. You got to say right. something? Yeah. Um, and so then I hung up with Drew very reluctantly. I mean, this was one of those days when I felt I needed some shoulder-to-shoulder support, so I was bummed that we couldn't, like, be literally together in the same space. But very reluctantly, I hung up with him. And then... The very next thing I did is I listened to a sermon by Shauna Nequist. Some of you know Shauna or of know of Shauna, um, who preached the sermon I listened to that night was about how God can change your story, and she listed the example of um, she. All her life, she was told she wasn't a runner, and she was also told she was weak, so she took those combined two things, and she signed up for a marathon, (laughs) and finished. She said it took all day, and the trucks were running behind her. That's how long it took, but she did finish, and I thought, okay, maybe I can use that and I can change the story of being um, mad at my mom and I can change that into Jesus, please help me absorb. Yeah, and here's why this is powerful. So now we're moving into neither calling his mom and earning his justification by getting mad at her and proving that he was right, nor ignoring his the honesty of his feelings and how angry he was and how upset he was, neither of those counted for anything. They weren't going to give him any power. But when he started thinking about Jesus, he saw that faith worked through Jesus so that if Jesus can do it, he's not just my example. The gospel says that... He gives me power. Why? Because the Holy Spirit is in you. So it's not that you look to Jesus and say, well, if he could do it, then I can do it. Because you can't. You can't do it. That's the whole point. But because Jesus did what he did, it meant that I now have the Holy Spirit in me. Again, this is why you work it out. Because that sounds like a crazy belief in theory that the Holy Spirit is in you. But I'm not so sure that Hank came across that sermon by accident. I'm not so certain that when we prayed after our phone call and we said, Holy Spirit, give Hank power uh, to take on this anger. I'm not so certain that the Holy Spirit wasn't already working in his life. That's what I mean. God works within the reality of our life. So that's faith working now, the through love, the self-giving, the breaking down, the denial of self, the death to self. Yes. Um, so then um, uh, that night we had the video call and um, I eventually did feel much better, although I had to go through hell to get there. It was really painful, but I eventually did feel much better. But what I want to um, tell you all is what I realized later on. Um, I don't, this is going to seem like a change of subject, but it's really not. I don't think the Disney showrunners knew just what they had on their hands when they made the script for the Lion King film. It is so, every part of that is so biblical and so not just the macro redemption story of Simba learning he's king, but even minute details. Um, Now, one of my... Uh, one of the stories I've been telling myself is I'm bad with accents, and I'm about to quote the only character in that show that has an accent. So Drew's going to translate for me. Um, but um, 
Um, so most people, for most people, I think this was truly the case. This was the case for my family when we saw it. Most people, the big turning point of that film is, or that musical, I like the musical better, is when um, the wise shaman ape, Rafiki, um, uh, once... Once Simba realizes that he is the true king, Rafiki swings on that vine and says that king has returned. The king has returned. Yes. <laughs> and, um, but for me, the best part of the show happened before that, and it was kind of how Simba learned that he was the king. Um... Uh, Mufasa's dead now, it's the second act, and Simba's kind of going through the pain, the grief of that loss, especially because, as you remember, he thought he had something to do with it. And, um, Rafiki comes swinging in again on that vine and hits him over the head with the stick and says, the king is alive, come, I will show him to you. And so Rafiki takes Simba because Simba wants to see his dad and he takes him to, of all the odd places, a reflecting pool. And um, he's, uh, Simba's like, what's this? You said the king is alive, but all I see is my reflection. And Rafiki said, look harder. <laughs> And um, uh, Simba looks, and he's just able to vaguely make out Mufasa living in him. And he says, you see, Rafiki says, you see, he lives in you. And my uh, favorite, that, uh, my, the... Broadway musical, I think, does a better job of this than the movie does, um, because in the movie it's just a scene, but in the musical, this is the whole song and dance number, and in the song, what happens is... Um, they, you think the song's over, they all leave the stage after saying he lives in you, trying to get him to believe, and then Simba has this aha moment when they're practically left the stage and um, the drums boom and the flutes play and they go into it all again because now Simba realizes, oh, wait, he does live in me, therefore I am the king. And um, I realized that um, that's a Christian message, isn't it? That... The king does live in us, and that's why I was able to do what I was able to do with Drew on um, a couple Thursdays ago. And also, I just wanted to encourage all of you that the king does live in you, each of you, and um, that he will give you the power just like I did uh, got the power along with maybe a close friend to work things out with to do what you can't do in your natural. Wow. Thank you, Hank. I, um, so closing that up, here's where Hank took us. Right at the end of that verse, it's only faith in Jesus working through love. In other words, y'all, Hank didn't have to absorb all the anger. Christ living in Hank absorbed the anger. Remember when Paul says, I'm crucified with Christ, so I no longer live, but he lives in me? That verse always confused me. But when you see it working out, do you see what's happening? The mechanics of it, the physics of it, the mechanics are, if the Holy Spirit is in you, then the same power that raised Christ from the dead is now in you. And if that's true, you can now absorb things that you couldn't in the past. You now have resources to experience some of the hatred in the world in the way Jesus did. That's why it's different being a Christian versus just vaguely liking Jesus. You don't get that if you just vaguely like Jesus and tack him on. You only get it and it only grows in you if you really own it and take the power of it. And so when you work, when faith works through love, what you're actually doing is your faith in Jesus 
is working through the self-giving love of Jesus. And yes, it's going to feel like death for you because you're crucified with him. But but you will be resurrected. You will, will be redeemed. And so our power as gospel-centered people, as a community that's on mission to do this, is we allow this to transform us over time. Because doing this really well, then it doesn't matter what room we're in. It doesn't matter what our production value is. A church that does that well changes the world. All right, Hank. Go out into the world in peace. Have courage. Forsake no one evil for evil. Strengthen the faint-hearted. Help the weak. Support the suffering. Honor all people. And go with the love, power, and strength of God. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for tuning in to the Church on Boulevard Sermons podcast. You can find out more about Church on Boulevard by going to www.churchonblvd.com.